Shared future really is motivated by the urgency of the climate crisis. The truth is, even though there's a lot of funding in the climate space, we think that we have to move faster. We need entrepreneurs to, to take risks. So we decided to provide 100 companies with money to really unlock and catalyze their climate impact as soon as possible. It's been an awesome journey. Welcome to the Entrepreneurs for Impact podcast. My name is Chris Wedding, and I'm your host. As a former private equity investor, occasional monk, startup founder, Duke and UNC professor, and mastermind guide for our climate CEO peer groups, I launched this podcast to share inspiring stories of CEOs and investors tackling climate change. Honestly, just got a little tired of all the doom and gloom. Through these interviews, I hope we can all become better founders, investors, entrepreneurs, and human beings by digesting these guests' secrets to starting and scaling climate companies, creating careers of impact, building habits and routines for higher productivity and health, and growing through maybe life-changing books and podcasts that they recommend. All right, let's get started. My guests today are Sophie Bacalar and Tomas Alvarez Bellon from the Collaborative Fund. Collaborative Fund is a 10-year-old VC firm investing at the intersection of for-profit and for-good with a long-time focus on investing in climate solutions. Today, they're investing in Series A and B stage startups from their $200 million Collab SOS Fund. Also, through their Shared Future Initiative, they're investing $100,000 checks into 100 startups per year that come through top-notch accelerator programs like Y Combinator, Activate, and Airminers. In this episode, we talked about how they make investment decisions, lessons they've learned from past investment mistakes, tips for startup founders who are new at pitching to investors, two of their portfolio companies tackling cell-cultured animal fat and smarter EV charging that takes advantage of software, which recognizes the bottlenecks of the power grid, the importance of distinguishing roles and responsibilities among founders as companies grow, personal goals of ever greater simplicity in life, recommended sci-fi books to read, the power of slow mornings, and a whole lot more. Hope you enjoy. And please give Sophie... Tomas Collaborative Fund and Shared Future, a shout out on LinkedIn or Twitter by sharing this podcast with your people. Thanks. Sophie Bacalar and Tomas Alvarez Bellone of Collaborative Fund, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us, Chris. Great to be here. So I think, I think most listeners know about Collaborative Fund and your all's 10 plus year history at the nexus of uh, for-profit and for-good, a big focus of that being, being climate. But some others may be interested to hear the latest stats. I'll drop two of those before we kind of get into things. I think one is $200 million in the latest fund to invest in kind of series A and B companies. And another, this shared future initiative where you all are investing in 100 startups really kind of that come through well-known accelerators like Y Combinator and Activate, investing hundred grand in 100 companies within 10 days of application, which is quite the soundbite, quite the headline, which, which I really love. 
breaking the mold for how, you know, seed stage investing is done. Maybe let's just start right there, if we, if we can, around why, why Shared Future as an add-on to what you'll have been doing for 10 plus years. Yeah. Shared Future really is motivated by the urgency of the climate crisis and a funding gap that we saw between ideas that academics and scientists and entrepreneurs have and getting that first tranche of capital. And the, the truth is that even though there's a lot of funding in the climate space, we, we think that we have to move faster. We need more shots on goal. We need entrepreneurs to, to take risks. And so Shared Future really is meant to provide 100K for entrepreneurs to hire that first engineer, hire the first business person that's going to take them to the next level, to buy a piece of equipment that's going to let them get the proof point they need to raise a seed round or a Series A. And so we decided to provide 100 companies with money to really unlock and catalyze their climate impact as soon as possible. It's been an awesome journey, Chris, and and we're so excited. We've funded over 50 companies already after launching uh, this past March. Uh, We're on track to fund 100 companies by the end of the year. And it's just super exciting to see the progress that folks are making, folks that have raised entire seed rounds based on this first check, folks that have uh, you know, really accelerated their timeline by uh, a year because they hired the right engineer. And so we're really, really excited about that initiative and, and also about how that feeds into the lab's climate efforts. That's a great start, uh, Tomas. And, and just so listeners know, I want to clarify, that was the voice of Tomas, not of Sophie. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sorry, it's hard Sophie. to distinguish. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I think that was really, really well said, um, both in terms of Tomas's summary of Shared Future and also your summary of Collaborative Fund, Chris. I do think it's worth mentioning, you know, Shared Future is a really exciting new initiative, and we see it as a complement to this longstanding history we've had investing in climate. It's been a real cornerstone of our investment strategy since almost the beginning of Collaborative Fund over a decade ago. And we've really sort of doubled down in the space. It's become an even bigger part of our investment plan. It's become an even bigger part of our strategy. And Shared Future is a part of that. But there's a really big story here around this new fund that we've launched, which we call Collab SOS, which is a $200 million fund investing in climate tech broadly, but focusing on really reimagining supply chains from the ground up. You know, we have multi-trillion dollar global supply chains that need to be completely rethought away from fossil fuels. So all the materials that we use in our everyday lives from the clothing we wear to the food we eat, to the energy we consume, everything needs to be reimagined. And so we see that as both an incredible opportunity in terms of impact and also in terms of uh, economic returns. We see just massive potential. And so this new fund that we've launched called Clap SOS is, is really a opportunity for us to, again, double down in climate and really, yeah, really um, invest heavily in this space. And Shared Future is a great, great complement to that being you know, much earlier and sort of innovative in its programmatic strategy. But I think the real core of the fund is still investing in seed and up to series, series A and B and beyond. 
Perfect, perfect. So I think you know w- one way of thinking about it for listen for listeners is that you all are not hopping on the bandwagon ba- bandwagon that is of the, of the latest. Thankfully, the latest trend in investing in climate tech. You are the bandwagon. How about that? New slogan. You heard it here first. <laughs> I love that. Print it. Put it on a t-shirt. Here, here. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> so all right. So investing, you know, seed through Series B. Uh, Tomas, in, in describing this shared future initiative, you, you talked about a funding gap you're seeking to help fill. I think for listeners, Ray, whether it's whether you're an investor looking for to, to craft a new investment thesis or whether you're a founder, right, looking to find your your product market fit, look for the gaps, right? Oh boy, how many times have probably we on this on this Zoom call, <laughs> let alone listeners seen opportunity, but we're late to the party, right? And so it's, it's too crowded already. The other thing which is really interesting about the Shared Future Initiative is you're able to move super quickly, which is what we need to solve climate change. And you're able to do that partly, or you tell me largely partly, one of those two words, because the vetting is already done, right? The, the vetting is done largely or entirely perhaps by YC and by Activate, it, it, it relates to something else that um, that I've helped put out in the market recently, a new, a new anti-GHG 5013C called TerraSet, where we're saying, hey, look, let's, let's direct philanthropic dollars to CDR, high permanence carbon removal, but we don't need to reinvent criteria, right? If, if Frontier's criteria works, if Stripe's criteria works, if Breakthrough Energy's criteria works, great, done, that's enough. Can you just say more about how you all chose that approach in order to achieve that speed, perhaps? Yeah, for sure. And I guess I'd start by saying that our speed is really enabled by our LPs, you know, the folks that invested in Shared Future. And, and, and it's really their vision and ambition to get capital to entrepreneurs as quickly as possible that enables us and gives us that freedom. You know, most investors are, are committed to doing really intense and deep diligence and, and are required to do that. And we have a little bit more freedom because our approach is to take a lot of shots on goal to enable folks to get to that next level and, and to move quickly. We know that a lot of these ideas may not pan out in the short term, but we're really going for that power law, you know, one major breakthrough that that helps us solve one of the critical you know, greenhouse gas levers that, that we need to pull. So that, that's that's one piece. The second is you know, our vision is to open up Share Future to all entrepreneurs that are working on climate so that they can apply and get funding as quickly as possible. It's just really tricky to do that without setting up an infrastructure to do diligence and figure out hey, which CDR company you should invest in or which mobility company you should invest in. And so the first step that we took in order to move really quickly was to partner with folks that have been investing for a while that have built knowledge in climate and can help us you know, pre-vet these, these startups. And so We've actually worked with three organizations to date. Uh, you know, Activate Fellows, we've been working with really, really closely uh, and, and have backed their 21 and 22 cohorts, uh, which has been really exciting. Y Combinator, we backed their summer 22 and winter 22 cohorts, as well as the, the latest batch of folks that have gone through air miners. And so that gets us up to a you know, really high percentage of, of the 100 uh, companies we, we want to fund. And now we're thinking about how do we open that more to other founders? And, and we don't actually have the answer just yet about what that will look like. It may mean partnering with more accelerators. It may mean having 
you know, percentage of, of these uh, slots that we allocate to folks that apply directly through the website. We don't have an answer yet, and we're building in the open and sharing that with the community. But we're excited that we had you know, a, a huge amount of folks reach out to us, whether they were founders or innovation hubs or investors, to say, we want to participate in this community. We want to participate and grow this effort. Uh, and so there's, there's a lot of building happening in the background. Perfect. You know, I didn't realize that you all were also backing cohorts from air miners. I'm glad you mentioned that. And side benefit, you reminded me that I owe Tito a phone call. So thank you. <laughs> I'm sure Tito will be <laughs> glad. Extra note mm-hmm. on the side. Perfect. Maybe, Sophie, if we can go back to you. So you've been at this for a little while and, you know, clearly interacted with lots of founders, CEOs of startups at various stages. If there were, I don't know, a a few pieces of advice you might pass along so that those founders have a better chance of being ready to take on Ural's capital. I don't know. what, what, What comes to mind? A little group coaching here. Yeah, very important. Yeah, I think I, my first instinct there is to not focus so much on having to be 100% ready before you get the ball rolling. I think a lot of really amazing founders maybe get in their own way and need everything to be perfect before they start talking to venture funds and start looking for capital, particularly at the very early stages. And some founders just don't have a lot of confidence in their fundraising ability I think one of the things that surprised me in the last seven, eight years that I've been investing is that there have been a ton of founders who've come in really nervous or really sort of unprepared to be pitching, who I absolutely adored in the end, who I thought were incredibly phenomenal, brilliant founders, and were working on really hard, impressive problems. Being a really, really great CEO or being a really great founder is not always completely correlated with being a great fundraiser. And I can't even count the number of pitches I've heard where the founder was stuttering or couldn't really get through it or was sweating and nervous. And that didn't ultimately impact my decision. And so I guess the advice would be if you're scared, just do it anyway, um, and maybe lean into it even. I think there's a mythology of a sort of nerdy, nervous founder that you can capitalize on to some extent. So I also think a, a lot of founders spend way too much time worrying about the deck being perfect. A lot of us really do not spend a lot of time looking at the deck. It, it, it ends up being much more of a conversation. I often joke that I tend to learn more about a company from their website than I do their investment deck. And certainly much more from the first conversation I have with them than I do with the deck. So just don't get in your own way and feel like everything has to be exactly perfect before you start taking meetings because it's, you know, it's a muscle you build and you just kind of have to start doing it. Uh, I think I can hear hear a collective sigh of relief right now <laughs> so listeners, uh, across, the, across the world. They're like, wow, I can own my geeky, sweaty, nervous self when talking to an investor for the first 10 or 20 times. I think, I think, Embrace it. Yeah, that's right. I, I, think, I think ditto on the deck. You know, those are clearly skills, right? Pitching and, and, and crafting a good story on a deck. Those are great skills to have, and they certainly increase your, your odds. But as you, as you say, they aren't the only reasons that one makes an, a decision. In fact, maybe less is more, right? Don't try to do too much with the deck. Get in the door and have a conversation like a real human being. 
can be pretty, pretty powerful. How about we go to some stories of companies that you have invested in? Clearly, as I tell every investor guest on the podcast, I know that every CEO receiving Ural's capital is your favorite, no doubt. But if you had to just randomly pick two or three portfolio companies, maybe describe what they do. And I don't know, a reason or two on, on why you said yes, right? That's, I, we, we have to invest in this company. Yes, you are 100% right. It's very difficult to choose which one to talk about. So I'm going to focus on a company called Paxton Farms, which is about to announce their most recent round of funding. And it is a UK-based company. Um, they're making cell-cultured animal fats. And this is a space we've been really excited about, this sort of alternative protein space, a space we've been very active in and excited about for a pretty long time. Um, you know, we've been investing in new methods of meat production for several years now. We invested early in companies like Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat and, and Ripple Foods. And so we really do feel that alternative protein is going to be a big part of the future of food over the next over the coming decades and a big part of the climate story. You know, we've been very impressed by the success of those companies that I mentioned, but we do still feel like there is a massive breakthrough needed in fat in particular to really replicate the taste and texture and, you know, for lack of a better word, the sizzle of conventional meat. Nice. And I see what you did there. <laughs> Thank you. There are actually a ton of good uh, fat-related um, <laughs> puns that we can we could lean yeah. on here, which is another reason why I get so excited about this company. But yeah, we really do believe Hoxton Farms is the company that's going to be able to do that to deliver on the promise of alternative fat that can create a, an alternative meat product that really competes with conventional meat, and that's super exciting to us um, from a climate standpoint, from an impact standpoint, and also from a return standpoint, right? That long term, we do see the economic advantages of alternative meats and the ability to create a product that is an amalgamation potentially of you know, plant-based protein and cell-cultured fat and maybe precision fermented flavoring and something that really, really replicates the taste and texture of conventional meat. The long, long tail end of this story is going to be both great for the environment, great for climate, great for people's health, and economically viable. So that's what I'm very excited about. The team is amazing. Ed and Max are huge, huge, huge fans, and really big things coming from them soon. Well, it sounds like one more thing to add to that cereal list, which is great for the palate, perhaps, right? Yes, Taste extra exactly. tasty. Um, Which is critical. It is critical. Can, can you spell for listeners? I mean, in parentheses for me as well. Can you spell the name of that company? Yes. Hoxton Farms, H-O-X-T-O-N, Farms, F-A-R-M-S. For any of our UK, London-based listeners, Hoxton will be a very familiar neighborhood and name, I'm sure. But yeah, it's, it's named after the neighborhood that they're based in, Hoxton. Okay, Nice. What is so interesting about this space is that I think I and men listeners, when they hear about the, the product or solution companies are working on, they're words that we may have heard before, but never together. I mean, you, you just referenced cell-cultured animal fats. I never would have thought that would be, an invest, would be a, the foundation of a company. And then precision fermented flavoring. Is that right? 
I mean, delicious yes. in so many <laughs> of the word. All right. Okay. I bought you time. I think I bought you time. Which of your other favorite children do you want to pick, Sophie? I'm going to pass it to Tomas for this one okay, to nice. talk about our actually our most recent investment. So I think that's another fair criteria, selection criteria. Yeah. What, one of the recent investments that we're extremely excited about is a company called WeaveGrid. And WeaveGrid really is solving the challenge that comes with electrifying our vehicles, you know, the, the massive wave of EVs that is happening, not just here in San Francisco, where I'm based, where you see more Teslas than any other car, but all across the country and, and the world. And the challenge with electrifying our vehicles is that essentially when you plug it in at home, you are doubling or tripling the load that you uh, as a household are putting on the grid. And that becomes really, really challenging from an intra infrastructure perspective. We have uh, you know, distribution lines that blow up. It's really expensive. You need to upgrade it. And so while on the one hand, EVs are this enormous opportunity for OEMs, the auto manufacturers, for the utilities that provide electricity and for customers, it's also a, a really, really big challenge. And so what Apoorv, uh, who's the CEO of WeaveGrid and, and his team have been able to do is create software that integrates at a really deep level with your vehicle, with your EV, and with the utility, and then distributes charging in real time such that my car charges, let's say, at midnight, and then Sophie's car charges at 1 a.m., and your car charges at 3 a.m., and we distribute the load. And what that avoids is everyone turning on the charging at the same time, which would create a spike in electricity and then basically, uh, you know, really strain the grid. And so this is distributed, orchestrated charging. It's an incredibly elegant solution. Uh, it's software only, which for investors is always exciting. And the team has just been crushing it. They have partnerships with major uh, auto manufacturers, with some of the biggest utilities in the country. And we think it's a massive opportunity. So we're, we're really excited to support them. And they're uh, you know, going to be hopefully in, in all our phones and, and households pretty soon. Well, I, I hope so too. Yeah, that, that, that company uh, has some connection back here to North Carolina. I think they went through the CLT Jewels incubator back in the day. So good to hear of their progression. That's great. Let's look backwards versus forwards. Thinking about companies either that, that you'll have invested in over 10 years, or maybe those your peers at, at other firms have invested in, is there uh, maybe a couple of lessons you might share for those founders listening who have raised capital? They're on their way, right? Uh, but there are some potholes they should avoid, and you will have seen them more than once. What might some of those be? So if you want to take this one to start. Yeah, definitely. I'm just trying to decide which of the many, many mistakes to focus on. I'll give an anecdote about my very first investment. The very first company that I invested in, they burned through almost all of their cash within basically three months. It was very, very quick. I think that's representative of just letting burn get away from you way, way too fast. Investing in projects that you're not certain are going to yield returns, bringing on a really senior staff. And of course, I was devastated. I felt very embarrassed. I felt like I had failed them. I didn't give good advice. I didn't stay on top of them. You know, I didn't, I didn't provide good governance, which is a very critical part of 
being on this side of the of the table. And so that, that was definitely my first mistake. The second mistake there, at least on my part, was just writing them off too quickly because they actually came back from that. And they are still alive now, seven, eight years later, and are actually doing better than ever. So the lesson from my perspective was, Firstly, you shouldn't do that. Don't burn through your cash that quickly. You should be very careful with the money that you're given. But the lesson on my end is, you know, don't assume it's over before it's over because they're doing great and successful. And I'm not really part of that because I was too embarrassed and too too prideful to um, keep that relationship strong. So a couple lessons there, but bur- keeping burn manageable is definitely a big one. I think Again, hiring really senior talent too early is something that I've seen happen way too frequently because that just increases your burn and it's hard to come back from it because people are, are one of the hardest things to adjust in real time if you, if you need to be making quick cash adjustments. And then the other thing I've seen over and over is just not distinguishing responsibilities between or among founders early enough. I think that's a problem that really compounds over time. You want to have real clarity, even if it feels like you are always on the same page and you're so close and you're such good friends with your co-founders, you should distinguish who does what as early as you can so that there's no friction later on. Because again, that's a problem that really builds over time and only gets worse. Well, I I think the listeners appreciate that when you started answering that question, you actually fell on the sword before <laughs> before pointing to the mistakes the CEOs make. So write it down. We heard it here first, right? An investor admitted failure. I'm just kidding. That was a good start. That was a good start. Yeah, I think I think on the last point, it's really interesting. I see this as well, even among growth stage CEOs or, or team, founding teams, really. They're so used to just kind of doing whatever needs to be done that as they grow, they don't they don't change that quickly enough, right? Where clearly sometimes some members are better at other things than others. And just because they ha- have or could do something doesn't mean they should, right? Cool. Cool. Great start. And, and Chris, at the early stage, we see that a lot with fundraising where you jump on a call with founders for, for an intro meeting and you have two or three founders. And I think typically what, what I like to tell folks is that that intro meeting is just to make sure that you know, the investor, the, the team is on the same page. You need one founder, the other two should be working on the product, on sales, <laughs> making progress. And you know, later on in the process, of course, everyone will want to get to know each other. And, and that's an important part as well. But you know, making sure that you're efficient with fundraising uh, and, and, and not stopping progress is one piece that I think is, is really important. The second thing, and, and this is particularly true in climate tech, uh, you know, for, for folks that are working on hardware or hardware-related businesses, is understanding that you're going to have to raise a lot of capital. And if you raise it only with equity financing from, you know, from venture funds, uh, it's going to be really expensive. It's really going to dilute you. And sometimes, even if you have an incredible outcome, you might not benefit that much from it. Uh, if, because as, as a founder, you've been diluted. And so looking to alternative sources of capital early is really important. And by the way, only compounds the value for a startup and for an investor. So if we, if we look at a startup that is, let's say, at the seed stage, 
trying to raise $5 million and they have five to $10 million in grants. That's so exciting for everyone on the table. It's going to increase their valuation. It's going to increase their runway. And by the way, it says something about how the, the that startup can navigate uh, the, the grant landscape, the debt landscape, et cetera. So there, there are different capital uh, you know, assets that, that are useful at different stages of the business. But today, more than ever, there's a ton of funding from the government co- coming into climate. There's a ton of philanthropic capital that folks should, should look to. Uh, there aren't a ton of great resources about how to navigate that. And so I think keeping an eye out and, and really doubling down there is important because you don't want to get to a series B where you've already been diluted. You still need to build the first facility and you know you're you're years away from progress and you you just get stuck with investors that say well where what are we investing in right so i think for me those are two really important points so i'm going to ask one more question about collaborative fund and then we're going to switch to questions about you two as human beings so just you've been forewarned where do, so you know a collaborative fund you know 10 years in the making doubling tripling down on uh, on climate, you know, through both Collab SOS, right, the two hundred million dollar uh, fund, and shared the shared future initiative. So, flash forward for us, I don't know, five years, ten years. Like, how do you think about collaborative funds' role in building the climate tech ecosystem? I hope and think that we will be a source of capital for climate entrepreneurs at all stages. We want to keep building these funds and these sources of capital and really backing entrepreneurs who are working on the biggest, most challenging parts of the climate crisis. I think we are really committed to, you know, getting our hands dirty and getting into the, into the parts of this, this crisis that are difficult to solve. Um, those are the types of founders that we like to back, the ones who aren't afraid of a challenge because we aren't. Uh, so, yeah, I think we, we plan on, continuing to grow the sources of capital that we provide and extending that all the way from the pre-seed, the super early stages that Tomas mentioned, the shared future, all the way up to series B, C, and beyond. We want to be lifetime partners for the entrepreneurs that we're backing and to provide a steady, consistent flow of capital through all stages of the company. Cool. Tomas, is it, is it an exclamation point? Anything to add there? Yeah, I mean, what, what I would add is I think Collaborative is doing an awesome job of building the climate tech ecosystem in New York and being a presence there. And that's something that we want to foster all across the, the East Coast. You know, we have now days of the month where folks can come and work from the office and, and hang out and meet other founders. Through the Shared Future Network, we're building a community of 100 founders a year that then gets added to Collaborative's climate uh, community. And, and as I mentioned at the beginning, we have companies and other investors and folks that want to be mentors coming to the table and saying, how can we help? And so I think what we're going to see is Collaborative do what, what it's done best over the last decade, which is to build a community of folks that are you know, focused on impact and helping one another. And, and it's really going to be a bottoms up movement where capital is going to be, you know, one of the main levers that, that we pull, but certainly not the only one and, and not what Collaborative is going to be remembered for. I think it's really going to be the, the story that we build, the community that we build, uh, and, and as a result, we'll remain at the forefront of, of the climate ecosystem. Cool. Okay, I, I, I told a white lie. I have one more question. Is, 
Have you thought at all about turning uh, shared, the Shared Future Initiative into like an AngelList rolling fund for folks to invest in? I'm asking for a friend. Yeah, a friend. Um, well, we, we should chat with your friend, uh, Chris. Uh, so look, I, I think the, the answer is we're having conversations with a lot of folks about what Shared Future can look like and, and we're open to feedback. And so we, we'd love to talk to you more about that. We're always looking for folks that want to invest some capital, contribute to the community. And, and I think that the challenge that I would raise to anyone thinking about that is, is the same challenge that we raise to ourselves and, and to the partners that, that we work with, like Activate Fellows, which is how do we make this a two-way street? How do we participate in something that's going to benefit both of us? And I think an idea that excites us is having Shared Future become a network of networks within the climate innovation ecosystem, where we can have transfers of capital, but also knowledge and talent, and really enable that catalyst action to, to take place. And so we're really excited about where, where we're going to be in 2023, 2024. There's a lot more to build. And so, yeah, let, let's keep the conversation going. Let's switch over to the people here uh, on the line. So, uh, Sophie, we'll start with you with this question. Of course, Thomas, you're next. I'm sorry, Tomas, you're next. What advice might you give to your younger self to be uh, more effective, happier, fill in the blank, positive adjective? Yes, I, I think broadly, I would champion simplicity as a life tenet. You know, I definitely spent way too much in my earlier years, just trying to sort of hack my life. And I think actually removing a lot of the processes and rules and, and tools and just stuff that clutters your life, um, supposedly in the quote unquote name of efficiency, that actually removing those things actually makes you more efficient sometimes. And that's definitely something I've, I've learned for myself. You know, I, I often joke, although it's not really a joke that my my goal is to get rid of my laptop and eventually do all of my work on my cell phone and just use Gmail and calendar. And that the point that I get the point at which I get there will be sort of one one uh, marker of success because I find all of the clutter and over overly stringent processes just to be an, an inhibitor to efficiency and happiness. That's awesome. I would I would direct folks to a book uh, called Essentialism. Essentialism, <laughs> an excellent, excellent yeah. book that I also highly recommend. Um, For sure. I think it really sums that philosophy up well. When the, the timing of your comment is perfect because we're recording this on October 19th. And then next week, I have my annual fall solo retreat in a tiny home in the mountains for three days. Lovely. Can't wait. Can't wait. We'll come, come, I'll come back levitating, I, I think, anyway. <laughs> that sounds great. Uh, Tomas, what you got? That's awesome. I, I, I imagine I'm talking to, to Mary Kondo fans as well. <laughs> uh, these um, yeah, you know, for me, it's pretty simple working on climate, but really, regardless of the career you want to have, I would say uh, I wish I'd studied a STEM subject, you know, math, science, uh, engineering uh, back back in college. I had that realization fairly late. I focused on policy uh, and junior and senior year, I started to catch up and take statistics and, and all those courses. And I think it's just an immensely powerful way of looking at the world, looking at problems, certainly 
when when we're talking to founders, we're trying to dig into their techno-economic analysis and and having those fundamentals, I think, sets folks up for for success. And that's not to ignore the importance of you know qualitative majors and perspectives. I, I love taking existentialism and philosophy in college as well. But I think a lot of folks, maybe too many of us, are, are initially scared of the numbers and of the science. And, and I think really that's where uh, you know part of the answer is lie, and, and we need to be able to navigate both those worlds. So that that's a piece of advice for for Tomas freshman year of college. <laughs> well, I, I would say not the opposite, but maybe the inverse of that. So I, I was an environmental science major, biology chemistry minor, and then I, I'm, I'm teaching folks at Duke that are like, oh, well, I'm a econ major and like an environmental science minor. I'm like, that's what you should, that's what I should have done, young Chris Wedding, is become like multilingual from a skill set perspective, right? Yeah. Anyway, it takes it takes lots of lots of hats to wear. Um, let's go, let's go Tomas this time. What are some habits or routines, whether they're daily, weekly, monthly, et cetera, that keep you healthy, sane, and focused? Yeah. Uh, I, I love to run and, and to be outdoors. So being in San Francisco is an absolute joy for that. Uh, you know, I like to try and train for something. So currently training for uh, the half marathon in Malibu in November. So if anyone uh, is going to run that and the podcast out uh, in that time frame, <laughs> hit me up and, and we can meet up. But for me, running is a, a form of meditation and of disconnecting with the world. So that's one. And the second is always trying to read, even if it's five minutes before bed just a way to relax the mind, let electronics go, you know, immerse yourself in, in either a story or a piece of knowledge that is unrelated to what you did during the day. And so I, I find both of those essential for, for me to keep functioning. And, you know, the, the final piece, Chris, is, and, and it's fortunate that this is now part of my job, is just to be a part of a community. And, and you know, there are a lot of folks that talk about how we increasingly as a society have become more individualistic, a lot of the structures that you know, we used to have, uh, have, have fallen apart and folks feel alone. And for me, that the climate community has been one of the most inspiring groups of people that, that I get to hang out with. And, and so it brings me a lot of joy that uh, on a weekly basis, I, I get to participate in that in a small way. I support that. And, and since you're reading before bed every night, then you're, you're ready for, for my question after this question. Hey, Sophie, how about you? What are some habits or routines that keep you healthy, sane and focused? I have a really long morning, which I think is actually a, an incredibly obnoxious thing to say. It's definitely the kind of thing that if I'd heard somebody said, if I, <laughs> if I heard somebody say that back in my 20s, I would have effectively vomited. I, I, I really hated hearing that because I was not a morning person. I had to wake up at 5 a.m. every morning because I was a trader. And yeah, I, I really disliked waking up. So it's it's pretty wild to me now that I've come full circle, but taking a really long morning before work is it's definitely changed my life. I'm happier. I get way more done. I get more sunlight. Uh, it, it's really done wonders. Um, I take at least three hours before I go into the office and I get a ton done in that time. I, you know, I work out, I spend time with my puppy, I water my garden, I, you know, make food for later in the day. I read, I do the crossword puzzle. It's, there's a lot that I can get done before I officially sort of quote unquote start my day. And I have a lot of tips about how to sort of wake up earlier and earlier and actually enjoy it. But one of, 
one of the major ones is that I don't use an alarm clock. So I've learned to wake up with the sun and um, even earlier at the time of year when there is no, no sun and not having an alarm clock is, is also really a game changer because I find that that shrill, horrible noise being the first thing that greets you in the day is a horrible experience, no matter how much you enjoy your life and waking up. It's just a terrible way to start the day. So anyway, there, there are plenty of resources for how to cut alarm clocks out of your life. I don't need to tell you about them, but I do strongly recommend it. Well, if we had more than three minutes left, I would ask you to explain how to cut alarm clocks out of, out of our lives, but I'll, <laughs> I'll just let folks Google that. Um, yeah, on, on the whole get up early, you know, I've, I've tried to find all sorts of non-jarring like buzzes, vibrations, et cetera. So that when I get up early, my wife is not also jarred out of, out of bed. Nothing works. They're all jarring. And I, I learned this morning that um, our cortisol levels, our stress hormone levels are the highest in the morning already. So like we're, we're, we're adding to that, really? Okay. Um, the power of long mornings. I like it. All right. Let's go, uh, let's go rapid fire here. Uh, we'll stick with you, Sophie. Recommendations on books, tools, et cetera. What you got? So my, my favorite books are generally science fiction books. So if you're a sci-fi fan, I have tons of recommendations for you. I will first recommend The Three-Body Problem, of course, yep. if you're a science fiction fan. You probably already read it. And then anything by Blake Crouch. I think uh, his books are phenomenal and always, always a fun read. My favorite podcasts are The Knowledge Project, Slate Culture, and Catalyst by Shale Khan, yeah. which Tomas turned me on to and is, is an absolute favorite of mine for one. climate content. I love it. Tomas, how about you? Yeah, uh, I would say on the book side, uh, The Overstory by Richard Powers for me has been one of the most moving reads, uh, certainly galvanized my, my climate journey and uh, is, is a must read for, for anyone interested in the space or our planet. And Richard Powers is, is an incredible author. In terms of podcasts, I was, I was going to suggest Catalyst. I, I think that is incredibly interesting, but also detailed and, and just useful for anyone in climate, whether you're a founder or an investor or, uh, you know, working on the policy side. And then I think another one that, that I enjoy is uh, This American Life. And, and I love the stories they tell, the people that you discover, and, and is also part of my routine. Not as early in the mornings as Sophie, but, uh, you know, certainly early enough for me. Sweet. All right. Final, final 30 seconds. What, what message are we leaving for listeners here? Call to action, et cetera. What you got? Yeah, for, for me, it's super simple. It's if you're working on climate, if you're building something, we want to hear from you. We don't care whether you're at the pre-seed stage or about to raise a Series B. Collaborative has a bunch of dry powder that we're looking to invest and we're actively investing in, in the best founders in this space. And so you can find our LinkedIn, our email and shoot us a message and, and we'd love to find some time to talk to you. The day Tomas's email blew up. Okay, Sophie. <laughs> Yeah, I'd put an exclamation point on that. You know, we are very actively investing in climate. We are not sitting on the sidelines. We have a lot of capital to put to work and we want to hear from you. So if you're working on hard problems in climate, you know, reach out. Um, I'll also give a quick plug for our monthly co-working day that Tomas mentioned. So if in your, you're in New York City and you work in climate and you want a place to hang out with other climate founders and 
you know, share ideas and get some free food, um, look out for, for more information on that because we'd love to have you in the office and continue to build the community in New York City, which we, we think is so valuable. A line out the door. Hey, awesome stuff. We're rooting for the success of Collaborative Fund and your all's portfolio companies. Thank you, Chris. It's been awesome. Thanks so much, Chris. This was fun. Thank you so much for listening. Seriously, the world needs you, and I know your time is super valuable. If you want more content like this, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter at entrepreneursforimpact.com. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I read every single one, I promise. These reviews are the number one way to draw more attention to the world-changing climate CEOs and investors that I'm lucky enough to be interviewing on the show. And each month, I pick one listener review for a one-on-one brainstorming call with me. Who knows what can come of those? Finally, if you're a growth stage climate CEO looking for a confidential peer group to share best practices, expand your network and scale your business, then please apply to join our Climate Mastermind programs and Entrepreneurs for Impact, where our current amazing members have created over $4 billion in company value to mitigate climate change. Until next time, keep on fighting those good fights.